So this, uh, this man is like 60 years old, and he and his wife have been married 40 years. And uh, they have the same birth date. It was interesting. They got married. They've been married 40 years, and they have the same birth date. So they're celebrating this uh, night together. And they've been, you know, devout Christians. They've been like, wow. And so God is just like, I want to bless them. So he appears to them at the birthday party. And he says to the wife, he says, I just want to give you a blessing. Whatever's been the desire of your heart, even if it's a secret desire. She goes, I want all my children to know the Lord and my whole family all worship me. She goes, instantly, she gets this vision of the children. Everybody's like, and she's like celebrating. He's celebrating. He goes, the husband looks like, wow. Turns over and God says to him, so, so what's your secret desire? He says, uh, Lord, I'd like to be married to a woman 30 years younger than me. His wife looks at him. Even the Lord looks at him like, you sure? He goes, yeah. Poof, he's 90 years old. <laughs> Men, watch out, right? Watch out for you. You may get the desire of your heart, right? Yipes. Okay, so I'm going to clean this up. Michael told me this the other night at our men's dinner. Uh, we were having a meeting and a dinner. And so, so these, these two guys, they've been notorious thieves all their lives. And uh, St. Peter's at the gates, the golden gate of heaven. And these two guys show up. They got saved, but they've been notorious thieves all their lives, right? And so Peter says, you guys? And they, they said, yeah. Because wait here, wait here. I got to get counsel on this. So he runs to the Lord. He says, Lord, these two guys, they, you know, they've been thieves all their Like, Peter, if they know me, let them in. But, but they're not perfected. Let them in. So he goes back there. He goes, he runs back. Lord, Lord, they're gone. He goes, I told you, let them in. Go find them. He goes, no, the gates are gone. <laughs> Did I do okay, Michael? I cleaned it up a little bit. Yeah, that's, yeah. All right, praise God. Okay, you ready? Uh, I've had this thing burning in me. We've had quite, isn't this been quite an amazing week? Man, let's just pray. Lord, we thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord, for all the amazing things that are going on nationally, internationally, all the things that are going on within our body of believers, the amazing grace you're pouring out uh, overseas here. Lord, as this, um, I believe today is, is Life Sunday, Lord, we want to remember what you're doing. Next week, we're going to have Cynthia Adair here from uh, Lifeline Pregnancy. But Lord, we want to honor life. We want to honor what you're doing. You are the way, the truth, and the life. So with truth and life, you provide the way. Would you lead our country now? Would you lead us and guide us? And this morning, Holy Spirit, would you give us the words of life from your word that you would be honored in the midst of this? You'd give us the nuggets by which we can understand the truth that sets us free. And we give you thanks, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, in the outline, if you look at it, I titled this, I was praying before, I pray before I ever give a message, and I, I just opened to Second Chronicles, and this verse, 11, jumped, I mean, literally, I was in that mode of seeking God, and I opened the Bible, and it just came out, and the words that stood out to me were, stand, serve, minister, and burn. We're going to unpack this. How does this become relevant, Pastor? What, how can I take that and apply it, something that was written 
thousand plus years ago and make it relevant to where I am today. Well, first of all, let me ask you to turn. I want you to, I want to get you grounded, right? This is the Word of God. Turn to me to 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16 validates that the Word is the plumb line. You can, for sure, decide what doctrine, what practices, because the Word of God is full of living power, Hebrews 4.12. But in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect and thoroughly furnished unto good works. Does that pretty much clear the word? You can, you can drop the plumb line. Now, we, we recognize we're, we're doing the God is Good study on Wednesday nights from 6.30. We, we see the tension in Scripture. You'll, you'll read this Scripture, it's like, oh, wow, Lord. And then you read, read this Scripture, it's like, are they at odds? No. It's that revealing of God in the midst of the tension, right? So there's a time, it also says in Scripture, it says, the secret things are hidden. And we as kings are to search them out, it says in Proverbs, right? Deuteronomy 29, 29 talks about the secret things of God will be revealed, and they are for you and for your children. But unless you search, seek, and dig, it's that research in the spirit, right? So God wants us to understand and be fully equipped that all Scripture is given. It's profitable. All right, I want to I set that tone. And then I want to ask you, has this been quite an amazing week? Talk about transition and chaos sometimes and differences of opinion and wow, God. Well, let me just, I want to, you can jot these down on the side of your, uh, your handout, your sermon notes. These are some scriptures about understanding knowledge, direction, wisdom, so that we can be fully equipped. First of all, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, right? That's in Proverbs 1.7. And in Proverbs 10.10. 10. So the fear or the reverential respect or honor of the Lord is the beginning of being knowledgeable. Now who was the wisest man in the scriptures? How did he finish? Not well. So therefore, what does that tell us? You can be full of knowledge and have great wisdom and your heart can get off track. And we're going to look at a scripture that's going to show you that. Because you can have all this, all this biblical knowledge, and all, but if your heart's not right, you can get way off track. And I, and I get nervous when you look at Solomon and you look at David. Now, David recovered. He repented. Solomon did not. And he was, re, he was in fact, visited. Solomon was visited twice by the Lord, and he still chose wrong. So wisdom is great. Knowledge is nice, and it's the beginning, but it's not necessarily the place that still keeps you on course. Listen to this. I want to look at this from a biblical perspective. I want to look at it from a nation state. I want to look at it from a city. I want to look at it from a church point of view, a family point of view, and an individual point of view. All of this applies, and this has been a week. When you've got a president-elect who stands up and invites key speakers from, you had Paula White, you had the bishop, you had the uh, Spanish pastor, you had Franklin Graham, and they all call on Jesus. Amen. You know, this thing about, well, I don't know that the United States is a Christian nation. Oh, really? Did you hear? Did you hear? 
At least we're calling on the God who is. And I'm, I'm excited about that. Why is that important, Pastor? Because here, one, it says this in Proverbs 3.33. The Lord curses the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the upright. He curses the house of the wicked, and he blesses the home of the upright. That's a personal word in that one. Proverbs 28.2. When there is moral rot within a nation, its government topples easily. But wise and knowledgeable leaders bring stability. Proverbs 29.2. When the godly are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked are in power, they groan. Proverbs 29, 16, when the wicked are in authority, sin flourishes. But when the godly will live to see their downfall. Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God proves true. And he's a shield to all who come to him for protection. Proverbs 30, verse 5, what did our president say? We're calling on the protection of God. The protection by military, don't be afraid, and the protection by our police. But he called upon God. And, and so, in fact, I like the interview. I think it was Hannity did the interview of the Spanish pastor later that night at one of the balls. And he said, um, so how did that go? Did they tell you? He goes, you know, oftentimes the pastor said, they tell you what to pray. You know what the administration told me? You hear God and you pray. Come on. I'm telling you what, there's been a shift and there's going to be a continuation. Now, we know he's not perfect. Lord, Lord, Lord. Just look here. There's no perfect leaders, right? But, praise God, he's calling on the one who is. All right. Now, you can be wise and you can lose your heart in deception. I want us to, the, the, the outcome of this is we want to find out what are the revival stones. Uh, I saw this morning there was this angel carrying a basket full of burning stones. And as we had our hands out, it was a place of worship. The angel wants to place the burning coals of his fire in your hands, in your heart. But Kenny, Pastor Kenny started it. It's really a free will choice. Are you going to worship him passionately or not? Are you going to serve him and seek him? Are you going to put away the defilements in our own lives? And so I want to look at what is it historically, biblically, that draws God's favor and brings his attention, and then releases revival. Would that be good? You think we need those? Okay, good. Now, I know my wife will probably, she's taking care of the kids, so she'll, Tom, you got more than you can possibly, I know, I know, I'm going to do my best. Okay, turn with me, if you will. Let's turn to 1 Kings 11. You got First and Second Kings, which chronicles the kings, and you got the chronicles of the kings, and there's, there's so much parallel in both of these written at different times, but I love the, the parallels and the, the nuggets that are in here. Let's look at 1 Kings 11 and verse 1. Now, I'm going to read from the New Living, but I, I may use portions of the King James. I have a parallel Bible here. Verse 1, 1 Kings 11. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. That's a problem. Because Pharaoh's daughter he married, women of Moab, Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from all the Hittites, the Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. 
What was the, one of the commandments? Have no other gods before me. Now, that can be the God of materialism. It can be the God of self. But if, it's, if he's taken anything that's taken place of him in our lives is a problem, right? Have no idolatry, no other idols before me. Well, he warned Solomon in this wise character. He was amazingly wise in what he did with the nation and all. But as time went on, look what happened. Verse 4. In Solomon's old age, they, his wives, turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord, his God. So that's a negative, but you can put completely faithful. That doesn't mean perfect, because David wasn't perfect, right? But in, when Nathan pointed out his sin, he repented, and he turned, and it says, now, this is a man after my heart, right? And David is lifted up, and the covenant was promised, and so it's not perfection. It's repentance and seeking hard after him, right? And so, but we see here, he, Solomon didn't. And it went on, and in that chapter, it goes on, they, they worshiped Ashtoreth, Ashtoreth, Molech. Molech was the god of children's sacrifice. They would actually burn children. It's no different. That spirit of Molech is the spirit of abortion that happens in our nation, just covered up and called something different. But it's the same spirit, because that spirit existed then, and it exists now in our nation. It needs to go. And it says, Solomon, verse 6, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. And on the Mount of Olives in East Jerusalem, he built a pagan shrine to Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and to another one for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Solomon built these shrines to the, for his foreign wives, burning incense, and was sacrificing to their gods. This made the Lord very angry. So write that over as, as a check mark, but you could also say what pleases God. Wholehearted worship, devotion to the one. He had warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods, but Solomon did not listen to the Lord's command. So now the Lord said to him, since you have not kept my covenant and have disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. But for the sake of your father David, this is power and covenant, I will not do this while you're still alive. I'll take the kingdom away from your son. And even so, I will take away the entire, I will not even take away the entire kingdom. I will let one king of one tribe for the sake of my servant David and the sake of Jerusalem, the chosen city. You know what tribe that was? Judah, right? And so, the promise comes and says, because you have been unfaithful, and I've warned you twice, I've made it clear, but you let your heart go, you let your heart go into flesh-related focus. And as a result of that, I'll keep my covenant because I know your father, David. But from now on, the northern tribes, actually 11 of the tribes are going to go, and you're going to see the next craziness that happens and all the ungodliness that takes place. Let's turn to 2 Kings 16. So turn to the right, go to 2 Kings 16. You guys okay? Following me? I want to set us up to, we're going to look at what I call foundation principles, which will bring the foundation of revival and favor over a nation, over a city, over a church, over a family group, over individuals. Okay, you there? 2 Kings 16. Ahaz, the son of Jotham, began to rule over Judah. Now I want you to see, I don't care what, how evil generationally your family line may have been. God's a redeemer. He is a redeemer. 
right? He says, yeah, I'll, I will, it's in uh, Exodus 20, verse 5, he says, all that honor your mother and father, says, I will honor those who honor me. Then it goes on and says, I will bless to a thousand generations those who love me, but the sins of the father will visit to the third and fourth generation. So we see that love, once we get into this love relationship, those who love me, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your body, every part of you, God. Well, we're not capable of that. When, when Mike read a couple, Pastor Mike read 1 Corinthians 13, I don't know about you, but that's convicting. Keep no record of any wrong. If you do all this and do it for the glory of God, you could give your body over, but if you don't love, it's like, God, help us. Help us. But he says, he is love. And once he comes in, he creates in us the ability to be a righteous people. He declares us righteous. Romans chapter 3, 4, and 5. Read those chapters. I think I counted 11, 14 times. says, I declare you are now righteous in the blood of Jesus. Man, the blood of Jesus. Glory to God. All right. Back to chapter 16. 2 Kings 16. Are you there? I want you to see the wickedness of a generational king over Judah, but then I want to pick up and I want you to look at his son and what happens and how God takes the wickedness because we've had some wicked leaders in our nation. But we've also had the opportunity. We've had godly men who have stood, godly women who have stood in our history. And I want us to look at the principles. Ahaz, son of Jotham, began to rule over Judah in the 17th year of King Pekah's reign in Israel. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. He did not do what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord. You see that verse? He didn't do, verse 2. He didn't do what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord. And that's all that matters. When it's said and done, what did you do in the sight of the Lord? Wow. He did not do what was pleasing as his ancestor David had done. Instead, he followed the example of the kings of Israel. So he's now, Ahaz is the, is the king over Judah, but he's doing the mirror image of what's happening in Israel. You've got a little history here. You've got the northern tribes, and you have Judah, Jerusalem. After Solomon's fall, there's this revolt, this civil war. The 11 northern tribes break away. In fact, they go to war against Judah. There's this, there's this horrible season of even brother fighting brother, right? And so in this midst, Ahaz, who's now Judah's king, he starts following the same evil practices that the northern tribes of Israel are doing. And what does he do? He offers sacrifice and burned incense to the pagan shrines. It says in, let's, let's back up, it says, he sacrificed his own sons to the fire. There was a practice, one of the Molech practices. This is, a, this, is this ungodly destruction of children. That, in fact, we will see that Hezekiah, his brothers, were, were murdered in the fire by their own father. Now, we don't know what age, and it doesn't give us insight to that, but if you become king and you realize this God, Molech, and I saw my brothers sacrificed and burned alive in a fire to satisfy some demon spirit. How wicked is that? It's not any different than what Planned Parenthood is doing right now. As we speak, how many children are being slaughtered right now? That's that same spirit of Molech. It's got to get routed from this nation. And this is Life Sunday. <laughs> 
We'll speak more about that next week. He offered his sons to the fire. In this way, he followed the detestable practices of the pagan nations the Lord has driven out from ahead of them. Verse 4, he offered sacrifice and burned incense at the pagan shrines on the hills and under every green tree. In fact, King James says, he went to the high places. You ever notice the secret societies and the demons? When we go to those places, the high places, they go to the high places. In fact, go to Cherokee. The secret societies, they have all the stones of all the high places from all over the globe in an erected place there. And the Masonic come there and they worship once a year. That's a high place in North Carolina. It's not the highest. That's the common practice of witchcraft and curses and exes. And so it's no, no different. What did Solomon say? There's nothing different under heaven. Right? Just dressed up and called something different. They call the spirit of Molech choice now. No, it's murder. And it's not going to stand anymore, Jesus, please. We see here that it says, verse 5, King Rezim of Aram and King Pekah of Israel became, came up to attack Judah at that point. Look, step down and let's go to verse 8. Ahaz took the silver and the gold from the temple of the Lord and he placed the treasury and sent it to pay the Assyrian king. So what this wicked king does, not only does he bring all his pagan worship, he takes the gold and all the worship artifacts from the temple of God and gives it to a pagan king to pay him off in tribute so you can protect us instead of praying and asking God. Now you'll find out Hezekiah does absolutely opposite. Remember the little story about Sennacherib and the king of Assyria comes and says, I've been conquering the world and here's little Judah by themselves. We'll see this later in Kings we won't have much time, but we'll unpack it right here. It says, he goes before God, gathers all the elders in a fast. They start praying. And Hezekiah asks, and Isaiah the prophet comes and says, don't be afraid. And all this stuff, Sennacherib, what a name, Sennacherib. God is going to snack on his ribs. Watch what happens. I'm serious. What happens is amazing. This king who thinks he's all that in a bag of chips, he in fact, he goes there and he speaks in both Hebrew and he speaks in their common language and he tells them, don't listen to Hezekiah, listen to me, we've conquered everyone. And Isaiah says, don't be afraid. And that's the one where later <laughs> they get the worshipers together and they send the worship team out in front of the army. How'd you like that? Yeah, we'll, we'll, the army will stay back here, we'll send the worshipers out there. You sure hope Isaiah heard right. Because you'll be the first ones down. What happens? As soon as they strike the cord to praise his name, what happens? Later on, and find out Sennacherib, Hezekiah, the opposite of his father. Hezekiah trusts in the Lord. Even if it's going to cost, we will trust in the Lord. He calls this corporate fast. He calls together the people of God. Then the prophet shows up and gives the word, trust the Lord. They put the worshipers out front. And God dispatches an angel. And he kills 185,000. In one night. Come on. If that doesn't get you excited. I don't. Remember what he said? There's Gehazi. Open, your, open his eyes. There's more with us than there's against us. Right? One with God is a major majority. It ought to get us excited. So what we see is this promise. Let's go on and look at how Ahaz takes the nation down. And then we'll get to the positive. All right? He takes all the treasury. Sells out. Then he goes on and says... He took a special note of the altar of the foreign god of Assyria. In fact, he sends his 
lead worship leader slash high priest, and he sends him, and they look at the altar and says, well, if he's successful, then let's go after his God. And so they set up an altar in Israel. In fact, they tear down, they close up the temple of God, and they start the worship. Verse 14, King Ahaz removed all the bronze from the altar in its place in front of the Lord's temple between the entrance and the new altar and placed it on the north side of the new altar. And he told Uriah, this is now the new altar where the morning sacrifice, and then he perverts this thing with strange fire. He takes the blood of the sacrifices and they worship it unto this false god. You want to get God ticked off? That's a good way to do it. And so they false worship. He removes the side panel. In fact, he takes it. If you look at verse 18, in defense of the king of Assyria, he also removes the canopy that had been constructed on the side of the palace on the use of the Sabbath day. And Ahaz, and Ahaz dies, and his son becomes the king. Let's turn over to 2 Chronicles 29. You could go on and pick up, in fact, Hoshea, who is the ruler of Israel, is the last king in that next chapter of 17. But stay with me. I'm praying this is going to make sense. Turn to 2 Chronicles 29. Ahaz dies with all of his defilements and all of the loss and all of the junk that's happened. In fact, they lost many soldiers. And then King Hezekiah, 25 years old, Chapter 29, verse 1, 2 Chronicles 29, 1. Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king of Judah. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 29 years. His mother was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his, David, his ancestor David had done. Interesting, the King James says, he did according to what his father David had done. God considers spiritual fatherhood of those Who's in the family? What did Jesus say? Who's the family of God? Right? He says, your mothers and brothers are outside, right? And his mothers and brothers, his mother was, his brothers at that time were mocking him as the Messiah. You're the, and what is, no, he asked the question to his disciples, who is my family? Who is the family of God? Those who do the will of my father. Amen. So this scripture is very consistent. David got on track, did the will of his father, had a heart after him, and it says, Hezekiah, who did what was right in the sight of the Lord, that's just like his father David, even though his wicked father, Ahaz, right? Well, let's keep on. What did Hezekiah do? Look at, now these are the nuggets, I believe, that bring the fire of God and the favor of God and the promise of God. He's just waiting for a group. Who, he says his eyes look to and fro in the earth, looking for someone that he can show himself strong in, right? Well, what would that look like? The very first month of the first year of his reign, verse 3, this is like the first 100 days, they're asking Trump, so what are you going to do? Well, here's what a godly man and a godly king, the first month of the first, month of the first year of his reign, Hezekiah reopens the doors of the temple and the Lord, and he repaired them. He summoned the priests and the Levites to meet with him in the courtyard east of the temple. There's a place and there's a purpose and there's a command and there's an assignment. He said to them, listen to me, you Levites. Purify yourselves and purify the temple of the Lord. 
the God of your ancestors. Remove all the defiled things from this sanctuary. Our ancestors were unfaithful. They did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. This is a 25-year-old king. Now, you cross a king, you lose your head, right? So I'm sure they've got, they got it. he's got their attention. This is not a democracy. This is a theocracy. And this is your assignment. You have messed this up. But now I'm giving you an opportunity. I'm commanding you, go purify yourselves and purify the temple. Remove all the defiled things of the sanctuary. Verse 6, our ancestors were unfaithful. They did what was evil. They abandoned the Lord in his dwelling place. They turned their backs on him. They also shut the doors of the temple's entry room. They snuffed out the lamps. They stopped burning incense and present burnt offerings in the sanctuary of God. That's why the Lord's angry and has fallen on Judah and Jerusalem. You want to see all the destruction, why we're losing battles, why we're losing our finances, where all the money's gone to a pagan king? Does that sound any familiar right now? $19.5 trillion in debt? He made them an object of dread and horror and ridicule, as you see with your own eyes. Because of this, our fathers have been killed in battle. Our sons and daughters and wives have been captured. But now I will make a covenant with the Lord thy God of Israel so that his fierce anger will turn from us. My sons, do not neglect your duties any longer. The Lord has chosen you. I love this verse. My sons, verse 11, be not negligent now. Be not now negligent. This is a time and a space. Right now, the Lord has chosen you. Stand before him. Serve him. Minister to him. And burn the incense. Stand. What does that look like? You stand up on the podium, looking out over the mall, and you declare Jesus Christ is Lord over a nation. That's a stand. I'll take a stand. Well, that's not politically correct. How do you think the atheists feel? How do you think others of other religions feel? How about the one true God gets honor and glory? Then the Levites, they come and verse 15. These men called together their fellow Levites And what did they do? They purified themselves. We're in a 40-day fast. We're asking God to break in, break through. Come on. This is a time of, Lord, reflection. Time of what is it that is not pleasing in your sight? The things that we heard and done and when Doug Beecham got up, he says, you know, the things we think we are, what if we're not? What if we could look inside and search and see? Ask of him, it says, meditate. Before you do communion, right? Meditate on him. Ask him to show us what's really in our heart. Because we're really easy on ourselves, but we can see the sins and the motives of others and become critical. But what about us? What about me, God? Show us, us. He says, what did what Paul say in 1 Corinthians 11 before communion? Examine yourselves. Judge yourself so God doesn't have to judge you. This is what he's asking. Let's judge ourselves. Purify themselves. Cleanse the temple of the Lord. And they were careful, verse 15, to follow the Lord's instructions in their work. 
The priests went into the sanctuary of the temple of the Lord. They cleansed it. They took out into the temple courtyard all the defiled things that had gotten in there. From there, Wednesday, we had an amazing intercessory time here. One of those at the top of the list where we asked the Lord to purify our worship and break through anything that is holding back purity in worship and passion in worship. It was incredible. I believe God's shifting things. He's showing us how to worship him in spirit and truth. And the priests, they went in and they brought the defiled things out that they found and they carried it out to the Kidron Valley. They began their work in the early spring of the first day of the new year. That's critical. And in the eight days that they reached into the entry room of the Lord, then they purified the temple itself, which took another eight days. Sixteen days they went through this place in the temple. Then they rededicate the temple. Verse 18, the Levites went to King Hezekiah, gave him a report. We've cleansed the temple, the entire temple of the Lord, the altar that we burn offerings on, all the utensils, the table of the bread of his presence, all the utensils. We have also recovered all the items discarded by King Ahaz. See, this is the redigging of the wells. All the unfaithful things that he had closed the temple, but now in front of the altar of the Lord, they are now purified and they are ready for use. That's us. We become the burning ones. Early the next morning, King Hezekiah gathered the city officials and he went to the temple of the Lord and he brought in and they start the sacrifice of offering. Verse 25, the king then stationed the Levites at the temple of the Lord with cymbals and lyres and harps. He obeyed the commands of the Lord that had been given to King David through Gad, the king's seer. And through the prophet Nathan, the Levites then took their position around the temple with instruments of David. And the priests took their position with the trumpets. This is loud worship. You got trumpets lying. They got the burning of the offerings. Can you see it? They can see. They got the altar now purified, cleansed. They bring in the worship and they signify worship and sacrifice together. And God looks down on that. It says... Hezekiah ordered the burnt offerings, the songs of praise, verse 27. And they began according to the trumpets and the other instruments of David, the former king. They had hundreds. The entire assembly worshiped the Lord as singers sang and the trumpets blew with all the burnt offerings were furnished. Then the king and everyone bowed down in worship. See the humility? King Hezekiah and the officials ordered Levites to praise the Lord with psalms and written by David. And by Asa the, hearer, the, the seer, and they offered joyous praise and bowed down and worshiped. Then Hezekiah declared, verse 31, now that you have consecrated yourselves to the Lord, bring your sacrifice of thanksgiving and offering to the Lord. The people brought them in. And it, the, look at how big that offering was. Thousands of sheep and cattle and lambs. And, but these, there were two fruit pure. They didn't have enough priests to handle all this stuff. We need more priests purified, more Levites to come. We, look at this verse. I love this verse. And the consecrated things, there were 600 oxen, 3,000 sheep. But the priests were too few, so they could not flay the, all the burnt offerings that were being offered. Well, why? Look at verse, it says, until other priests had sanctified themselves for the Levites were more 
upright in their heart to sanctify themselves than the priests. This, what does the word say about who you are? Are you a priest? In the New Testament, 1 Peter 2, I got it listed in the outline. You're a royal priesthood. Well, what if you've got some priests that are still defiled in the place of worship? Is he going to show up? He's not looking for perfection, but he's after people when joint people come together with hearts joined, the fire burning, the altars clear and clean, the atmosphere is wide open. Guess what? He comes. He comes. So this is where the conscientiousness goes on. They needed more priests. They needed more Levites. They were, the, it says the Levites were more conscientious about purifying themselves than the priests had been. There was an abundance of offerings. So the temple of the Lord was restored to service. And Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced because of what God had done for the people. For everything had been accomplished so quickly. Now it goes on, chapter 30 deals with the remnant, and there's those who mock. You know, we, we got some mockery stuff going on throughout the, the nation and the world. But the celebration, it says, many of the, look at chapter 30, it says in verse 10, it goes on, most of the people just laughed and made fun of them. And there were those in the tribe, Asher, Manasseh, Zebulun, but there were others who humbled themselves. And at that time, God was on the people in the land of Judah, giving them one heart to obey the orders of the king and his officials. There's something powerful about leaders who are in siege after God's presence. All right, let's try to bring this now to relevancy. Are you with me? I'm going to try to land this. I want you to see there was evil, but there was a young 25-year-old king who, for whatever reason, he had a, must have had a godly mother. It says his mother, Abijah, right? He saw his brothers or heard of his brothers who'd been sacrificed in the fire. And now he comes in and he's in charge. He says, I'm not having any of this. How does a 25-year-old know by the presence of God? He must have had godly direction, wisdom. He's reading the scriptures and he says, this is the way it's going to happen on my watch. I'm going to go find the peoples whose hearts are after God. And he's going to join them together. And then they're going to stand for what's right. They're going to serve. And they're going to minister. And they're going to burn. So where are you standing? Do we take stands in our family, in our city, at your work of employment? Do it with wisdom. How do you serve? Whom are you serving? Are we ministering? Whom are we ministering to? Is he getting the glory for it? And then are you burning? Are you on fire? Are you burning for the Lord? All right, look at the top of the outline. The impressive and godly reign of King Hezekiah gives us insights into the elements that attract God's favor and set the stage for revival. The new covenant in Jesus has opened a new way as God's chosen people, the royal priesthood, a holy nation, as people who belong to God, and that's 1 Peter 2, 9. We are to consecrate ourselves and remove all the defilements. Prepare and position for the next great move of God. It's coming. 
There have, it is coming. It is coming like a freight train. You can't hear the number of prophetic voices and the declaration. God reveals through Amos. He said, I don't do anything unless I tell the prophets first. They're not all wrong. There's too many of them consistently saying, there is a major move of God coming. And the question is, there's also been dangerous words said, you're either going to get in the river or you're going to river is going to pass you by. So God, get us in the river. We're not river. We're, we're not sitting on the dwelling side. Of, we're in it. We're, we're swimming along with the river of God. Let it go deep. Number one, prepare and position for the next great move. Understand the revelation that you're a priest and you're a citizen of heaven. That means you're privileged, you've got power, and you also have tremendous responsibility. Prepare and position. Get ready. Well, how do we do that? One is confession. Is there any area of our lives that some of it's pretty obvious? That's not lining up with your word, God. Don't recognize the area. Repent of it. Turn. Seek his face. He said he empowers us. He says he's given us everything we need to live a godly life. He gave us the Holy Spirit, to empower us to walk this life out. Now, it doesn't mean that some sins aren't difficult, strongholds that are there, but go to prayer ministry. Gang up. Get somebody to pray with you. It says um, in James 5, it says, If any suffering among you, let them call for the elders and let them anoint with oil. The prayer offered in faith will sozo the sick. That word is saved, healed, and delivered. It's an action verb. It's used 110 times in the New Testament. It's a verb. It's an act of action, and it requires us to stand in that place. It also said, if two or three of you will agree as touching, let it be done for them. Well, I'm embarrassed to share that sin. Well, that's called pride. But share it with the right people because there, there are people that will not protect your privacy, and that really bugs me. Not on our ministry team. They won't last long. So, Lord, I pray that we would be one who seek after and confess, confessing our sins one to another that you might be sozoed. You can confess your sin to him, 1 John 1, 9. He's faithful to forgive you from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness comes in confession to Christ. Healing comes in confession to one another. There's a difference. Well, I'm pretty good about confessing to Christ, but I don't trust anybody else. Well, find somebody you can be trustworthy with. Confession is huge. Purify the household of God. Scriptures talk of two houses. You are first the house of the Holy Spirit. That's first. That, in 2B there, look at 1 Corinthians 3.16. 1 Chronicles 6.16 talks about, know you not that you are the temple or the house of God? Amen. Right? You're living stones are now fit together in the wall of the temple of God. So your stone fits with all the other stones. So purify this temple, Lord. Cleanse me and purify me. What about the house itself? My wife was reading out of Titus this morning. And it's like they were diligent about leadership in the house and what was required... And it was a heart deal. Most of it was a heart deal. God commands a blessing. This was used by the rabbi at the inauguration. It was, it's, he, Psalm 133. 
God commands a blessing when brothers dwell, live together in harmony. If your heart's not right, you got aught with somebody in this house, you need to fix it. Now, I understand there's a timing to that. Some people um, are not ready. You can go to them when they're not ready. I've had this happen, and God will have to lead you. Matthew 5 says, if you think somebody's you think somebody has all with you, leave your gift and go and be reconciled. If a brother, Matthew 18 says, a brother or sister sins against you, go to them privately and be reconciled. And there's times when they're just not ready to be reconciled. But when it's right, go and, and deal with it and do your best. If they don't want it, then just leave it alone. You've done your part. Doesn't mean you're going to go have a meal with everybody. But we want to be clear in our hearts before God, not wishing ill on anyone. But when a heart is not enjoined, he speaks of a body part. If you're not in this body part, how can every joint supply? If, you're, if this body part is a leg and you're trying to be an eye and turn the leg into an eye, guess what? That's not the way it works. Right? So figure out where your tribe is. And go be part of that tribe and then give your whole heart to him and, to, and be part. Amen. And then stand, serve, minister, and burn. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Purify the house here first and then purify the house. Renew the covenant of dedication to the Lord. When Hezekiah stood up and said, I'm making a declaration of a covenant. When leaders of a nation, leaders of a company, Leaders of a family make a covenant with God. We read in Proverbs, it's really clear what he does. He blesses. How about proclaiming the sacrifice? D, proclaim the sacrifice that Christ made for us. That's the heart. We sang that song. That first hymn we sang, man, was that awesome? It's a declaration of all that Christ has done. Now, once we've been in this progression and asking God to come, then gather and worship passionately. Number four, expressing passionately this love and gratitude for what he's doing. Pastor Kenny opened the service out of Psalm 95. That passionate, grateful hearts. Now, I realize there's battles going on. We all have them. There's circumstances, things we don't really understand in the midst of that. That's why you need somebody to come and pray along with you. To gather, it says in Hebrews 10, it says, don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together, especially as you see the day of the Lord drawing near. Why? Because corporate worship does something. It just does a shift in the heart. You get into an atmosphere of worship. When we have Christ-centered worship towards him, the devil just gets all annoyed. He just can't stand it. Gather and worship passionately to express the love of God. And then know the power of praise. I listed there in, in uh, 2 Chronicles 20, that's the where Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, they go out to defeat this foe that should have not ever been defeated in the natural. Isaiah's prophecy against King Sennacherib you know what happened to him, the end of him? Not only did he lose 185,000 troops in one night when the angel of God slaughtered them, he goes home, he withdraws his troops from little Judah, the one surviving covenant tribe. 
he withdraws and goes back to Assyria and two of his sons come and murder him and assassinate him. You cross God? God, mm, it doesn't, you get so pridefully arrogant. Ask Nebuchadnezzar, right? Seven years he lost his mind. Eating grass like some goat, you know, it's like, good Lord. So there's, there's this place of God's promise. Is this making any sense? All right, let's stand. I want to ask if we can just agree together in prayer. We got a few minutes left. One, I always thank the Lord that he, he gives us history that's filled with truth to show us the, the failures that some of the kings and leaders went through. One is the promise where even if you mess it up, I mean, David was an adulterous murderer, killed one of his mighty men. And the prophet called him out. Now, he could have killed Nathan, the prophet, but instead he repented and turned. Now, he went through a mess. The baby died. Bathsheba's baby died. But then the Lord showed grace, and she became pregnant, and Solomon was born. And God, he works with us. He's so patient. Yes, he is. Even in all of our mess, he's so patient with us. And he gives us an opportunity and opportunities. He's a covenant-keeping God. And that ought to give us such great hope. And even though Solomon messed up, he's going to be in heaven. He messed it up. And it caused the generations that followed his sons, they didn't live in peace. There was civil war in the nation. And then Israel got off track. And yet there's still this covenant God. And even after Judah got off track, and they went into exile for 2,000 years, the God of covenant restores Israel after the Holocaust. He's a God of great promise. And we now have been grafted in to be part of the same family of God, the one man in Christ. He says in Ephesians that we've been the wild branch. We Gentiles, the wild bunch, grafted into the same tree of the family of God. And then he says in Romans 11, there's a day coming when the exact number of Gentiles have come in that all Israel will be saved. Man, what a promise, what a hope we have. We're sitting on the eve of these things that are going before us. We're probably a billion souls, one of the greatest revivals ever to occur, are about to release on the earth. Now, it's not going to be without a whole lot of other stuff. Because the devil's mad and he's losing ground. And there may be martyrdom and there may be confusion and chaos. But he's looking for a group of people who will stand. And they will serve. And they will minister. And they will burn. Let it be so, God. Raise them up. Lord, I pray that you'd show us. First, gently, God. Would you bring dreams and visions? Would you bring those who love us? They reveal to us the things that may be the things we don't see. Or and make us intent of Holy Spirit because there isn't any of us that are holy without your presence. Amen. We can justify, we can compromise, we can say, oh, well, what about them? And, but God, what about us? God, would you do? We're in the midst of this fast. Would you cleanse us, Lord? Do it gently, Holy Spirit. You can blow the gentle wind 
And we can come and say, you know what, that's just not who I am. I don't want to be like this. I don't want to act like this. I don't want to think like this. I don't want to behave like this. Lord, all the defilements of immorality, of lies, of disunity, disharmony, dysfunctionality, you know, divorce, brokenness, drugs. I, Lord, all those things that try to steal your grace and your glory. God, would you empower this people, empower me, empower us to be able to come together. Let there be a special grace. Because God, when the revival comes, if, if you should allow us to be part of that revival, there can't be any defilements in the camp. You clearly show, we know what happens when there's defilement, when there's sin in the camp. Look at what happened to Ai. Whole family destroyed when Achan hid the things in secret and stole what was not his. And 36 innocent Israelis died in that fight. Sin matters in the camp, God. It does. God, I pray heartfully, Lord, humbly. There's none of us that are righteous without you. So we humbly seek your face. Can we get on our, if you can, get on your knee with me and let's just ask God. If you can't physically just sit, that's okay. Just close our eyes. Just take a moment. There's an area of conviction in your heart. Just release that area right now. Lord, I pray that the blood of Jesus would just wash away all defilements, unforgiveness, bitterness, resentments, pride, criticism, critical spirits, and every demonic realm that's tried to come against your people, the families, the house of God, the city, the state, the nation. God, we make intercession for the leaders that are now in authority. You told us in Romans 13 to pray for those in authority, that no one gets there without your approval. God, I pray that they would lead us righteously, that you would destroy the moral rot of our nation, and you'd raise up godly men and women. Those that are not saved yet, they're pre-Christians, I, I pray for the women like Madonna and those that stood yesterday with their pink hats and we, we just need you to come and release. They, they, just, they need more revelation, God. All these pre-Christians, draw them in, God. I ask that you would let our nation be swept. And then all the anger and hatred against in authority, the, Lord, we forgive and we ask that you'd move mightily on in this nation, God, that we would be, again, a lighthouse, Lord, that we... We don't impose our way of life, but it was said that, that we would be a light on a hill, that we'd be an example that others would want to follow. Not nation building, not destroying other nations, not ex exercising power and might for the purpose of self, but for the purposes of letting your glory come. 
So let's stand and we'll just be grateful that God has given us this opportunity and this chance. Lord, I pray that we would see breakthrough, Lord. Signs and miracles over sick bodies. Lord, I pray for those that are battling. I want to pray right now. There's, I know there's others that are battling, but I want to pray for a young man named Ryan that has been bringing me to tears. He's 20 years old. He's, he's the nephew of uh, Christy and Vince Ferrante, and he was diagnosed with cancer a year or so ago, and the treatment ended up giving him leukemia, and he's in a battleground right now for his life. And So, Lord, I pray, Father, that we lift Ryan to you, Lord, right now. And Lord, we come in in agreement that you are the God of miracles, that you can do exceedingly and abundantly above all we'd ever ask or think. So, God, I ask that you would set his body, bring creative miracles, give him a new liver and a, and a new kidney and new spleen, all the organs and tissues, platelets, Lord, that the blood levels that are needed in his body, that you'd restore every element of his life so that he would live and not die. He's been a witness and a testimony to his ball team in college, God, that he is, he's serving and wants to serve you, God. He's not ashamed of the gospel. God, we don't understand why, but we understand who you are. So we come into agreement now as a body of believers knocking on heaven's door. We're bringing Ryan's case to you in the courtroom of heaven that you said that you were the God of miracles, that you heal and by your stripes we are healed. So God, I pray right now the miraculous would flow and you'd raise up this man as a testimony unto your greatness. And then, Lord, for all those in this house, family members who are battling, struggling, children that have wandered, divorces, marriages that are in stress, children that are confused, God, the alcoholism and the drug addiction that this city has been plagued by all the heroin addiction and opiate addiction, God, I pray right now that you would set this city as an example, another hill on a tree, lifted up a light burning from that tree of light. God, I pray. Lord, as our artists have brought this morning the seven standards of God, the seven spirits of God, and the angel, Lord, I pray that the angel that would come, send your angelic presence right now. In Hebrews, you said in verse 11, in Hebrews 11, it says they are sent. They are sent as ministering spirits to assist the redeemed. You said in Psalm 91 that they take charge over us. Those who live in the sheltered place of the Most High. We don't have to be afraid of the things that go, the terrorist attacks during the daytime or sickness that creeps in the evening. That the snares that have been set by the enemy, you spring the snare of the fowler. Then you go on, you said, I will command angels to take charge. Send them, God. Send your angels to take charge right now. We ask that you would release your presence in the house, God. Come with your presence, Holy Spirit. Be glorified, God. Be glorified in this house. Come, Holy Spirit. Show us how to stand for you, God. Show us where we're to serve and to minister to you. And then to be a burning place, God. Make it personal. Let us burn for you. Let it be attractive, God. Let it be attractive so others can come. So I thank you, God. We're so grateful, God. We are so grateful. Lord, I pray right now. Let's just offer him a...
clap offering of praise. God, we thank you, Jesus.